There was a noticeable change in Washington, D.C. this week as Congress returned from their summer recess. Bars and restaurants around the Beltway were once again full of legislators and their staffs. Capital workers could be seen downing quick lunches on park benches enjoying the waning days of summer. The throngs of tourists seemed to have thinned out, and there was the noticeable ephemeral scent of, what's that, bipartisanship? Just barely noticeable in the air. Well, all of that came crashing down rather quickly, though, when on Tuesday, September 5th, Trump announced that he was ending DACA through his Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. Good morning. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. The DACA program was implemented in 2012 and essentially provided a legal status for recipients for a renewable two-year term, worker authorization, and other benefits, including participation in the Social Security program uh, to 800,000 mostly adult illegal aliens. The policy was implemented unilaterally to great controversy and legal concern after Congress rejected legislative proposals to extend similar benefits to, on numerous occasions to this same group of illegal aliens. Sessions' rationale for ending DACA was clear. In other words, the executive branch, through DACA, deliberately sought to achieve what the legislative branch specifically refused to authorize on multiple occasions. Such an open-ended circumvention of immigration laws was an unconstitutional exercise of authority by the executive branch. The effect of this unilateral executive amnesty, among other things, contributed to a surge of minors at the southern border that yielded terrible humanitarian consequences. It also denied jobs to hundreds of thousands of Americans by allowing those same illegal aliens to take those jobs. We inherited from our founders and have advanced an unsurpassed legal heritage, which is the foundation of our freedom, our safety, and our prosperity. As Attorney General, it is my duty to ensure that the laws of the United States are enforced and that the constitutional order is upheld. No greater good for the overall health and well-being of our republic than preserving and strengthening the impartial rule of law. Societies where the rule of law is treasured are societies that tend to flourish and succeed. Societies where the rule of law is subject to political whims and personal biases tend to become societies afflicted by corruption, poverty, and human suffering. To have a lawful system of immigration that serves the national interest we cannot ha admit everyone who would like to come here. It's just that simple. There is an open, that would be an open borders policy, and the American people have rightly rejected that. Therefore, the nation must set and enforce a limit on how many immigrants we admit each year, and that means all cannot be accepted. This does not mean they are bad people or that our nation disrespects or demeans them in any way. It means we are properly enforcing our laws as Congress has passed them. 
Before we get into the Trump administration's rescinding of DACA, let's take a look at the DACA program, how it came to be, and what it actually is. President Obama announced that he was moving forward with DACA on June 15, 2012. Good afternoon, everybody. This morning, Secretary Napolitano announced new actions my administration will take to mend our nation's immigration policy, uh, to make it more fair, more efficient, and more just, specifically for certain young people, sometimes called dreamers. Now, these are young people who study in our schools, they play in our neighborhoods, they're friends with our kids, they pledge allegiance to our flag. They are Americans in their heart, in their minds, in every single way but one, on paper. They were brought to this country by their parents, uh, sometimes even as infants, and often have no idea that they're undocumented until they apply for a job, or a driver's license, or a college scholarship. Put yourself in their shoes. Imagine you've done everything right your entire life, studied hard, worked hard, maybe even graduated at the top of your class, only to suddenly face the threat of deportation to a country that you know nothing about, with a language that you may not even speak. That's what gave rise to the DREAM Act. It says that if your parents brought you here as a child, you've been here for five years, and you're willing to go to college or serve in our military, you can one day earn your citizenship, effective immediately. The Department of Homeland Security is taking steps to lift the shadow of deportation from these young people. Over the next few months, eligible individuals who do not present a risk to national security or public safety will be able to request temporary relief from deportation proceedings and apply for work authorization. Now, let's be clear, this is not amnesty. This is not immunity. This is not a path to citizenship. It's not a permanent fix. This is a temporary stopgap measure that lets us focus our resources wisely while giving a degree of relief and hope to talented, driven, patriotic young people. President Obama's rationale for his executive action was in sharp contrast to Jeff Sessions' presentation of the Trump administration's rationale to rescind the plan. And I've said time and time and time again to Congress that send me the DREAM Act, put it on my desk, and I will sign it right away. Now, both parties wrote this legislation. And a year and a half ago, Democrats passed the DREAM Act in the House, but uh, Republicans walked away from it. It got 55 votes in the Senate, but Republicans blocked it. The bill hasn't really changed. The need hasn't changed. It's still the right thing to do. The only thing that has changed, apparently, uh, was the politics. Now, as I said in my speech on the economy yesterday, it makes no sense to expel talented young people who, for all intents and purposes, are Americans. They've been raised as Americans, understand themselves 
to be part of this country. To expel these young people who want to staff our labs or start new businesses or defend our country simply because of the actions of their parents or because of the inaction of politicians. So what is DACA actually? Well, DACA is the acronym for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It's an immigration policy which allows illegal immigrants who were brought into the United States when they were children, when they were minors, to have a deferred action from deportation and also receive a permit to work in the United States. And that's an important point to remember as this debate moves forward over the coming weeks and coming months. DACA is not an amnesty program. It is a program that gives certain young people who meet the program qualifications, who entered the United States illegally, or to be technically accurate since they were children, they were brought into the United States illegally, a two-year break from being deported and the ability to work legally in the United States. Participants must renew their status in the program every two years. They must be in good standing and have followed all the rules of the program to be considered for renewal. More on that later. As of 2017, approximately 800,000 young people were enrolled in DACA throughout the United States. The majority, or 54% of these folks, were brought into the United States when they were very young, less than seven years old. 80% were less than 10 years old. They are often referred to as dreamers after the DREAM Act. We'll get into that in a minute. According to a 2014 Pew Research Center estimate, there are 1.1 million unauthorized immigrants who are eligible for DACA, but only 78% have applied for the program. DACA participants come from all over the world with folks from Mexico making up the majority or about 75% of all DACA enrollees. Although there are DACA participants in virtually every state of the union, California has the greatest number of DACA participants at 38% of the total, Texas the second greatest number at 21% of the total. It's important to understand who does and equally important to understand who does not qualify for DACA. The basic rules of who qualifies for DACA are, number one, you have to have been under 16 years of age when you entered the United States. Number two, you have to have lived in the U.S. since June 15, 2010 without having left the U.S. for any significant amount of time. Number three, you have to be enrolled in school now or have graduated from high school or earned the equivalent of a high school diploma like a GED certificate, or you have to be currently serving in the United States Armed Forces or U.S. Coast Guard or have been honorably discharged from the Coast Guard or Armed Forces. And that's who qualifies for DACA. Here's who does not qualify for DACA. Anyone convicted of a felony, a significant misdemeanor, or three or more other misdemeanors. Examples of misdemeanors that would disqualify an individual from DACA are if you were convicted of burglary, domestic violence, unlawful possession, or unlawful use of a firearm, 
sexual abuse, driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol, and drug distribution or drug trafficking. You also don't qualify for DACA if you present a threat to U.S. national security or public safety. And what exactly does that mean? Well, an example of this would be if you are a member of a gang. You're a threat to public safety and you would not qualify for DACA. These points of disqualification from DACA are important because dreamers have been mischaracterized. In the playing field of politics, which can be full of half-truths and sometimes outright lies, DACA participants have been misidentified as criminals, violent people, and members of gangs. As a candidate, Trump chose to make a tough stand on illegal immigration one of the pillars of his campaign in order to gain support. He painted a dark picture of immigrants in general, and particularly those coming from Mexico. The U.S. has become a dumping ground for everybody else's problems. <laughs> Thank you. It's true. And these are the best and the finest. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. But I speak to border guards, and they tell us what we're getting. And it only makes common sense. It only makes common sense. They're sending us not the right people. It's coming from more than Mexico. And he's extended this negative characterization of immigrants into the dreamers. We're going to show great heart. DACA is a very, very difficult subject for me, I will tell you. To me, it's one of the most difficult subjects I have because you have these incredible kids in many cases, not in all cases. In some of the cases, they're having DACA and they're gang members and they're drug dealers too. But when Trump refers to DACA participants as gang members, he's just factually inaccurate, plain and simple. Remember that if you are a member of a gang and you therefore present a threat to U.S. national security, you cannot be in DACA. By the rules of the program, you are disqualified. There's no debate. There's no interpretation. There's no ambiguity. That's the rule. Despite Trump's assertion to the contrary, gang members cannot be in the DACA program, period. As a matter of fact, according to the Department of Homeland Security statistics, more than 2,100 DACA participants have had their status revoked since the program started for various violations of the rules. So there is enforcement of the criteria of the program. It's not a wild west of a program where anybody can qualify as some have tried to portray. Now that we understand what DACA actually is, let's take a look into why President Obama put DACA into place. There was an acknowledgement that there were a great number of children who had been brought into the United States illegally, not of their own free will, when they were young. As such, they were largely raised in the United States and knew no other country. Many of them were in school. 65,000 per year were graduating from high school. And they were considered 
low-priority individuals for deportation because the vast majority of them were participating just as if they were United States citizens, even though their status was illegal. Some were even serving in the United States military. Legislation named the DREAM Act, which would have provided permanent residency for unauthorized immigrants, was considered by the Congress in 2007. It didn't pass. It was considered again in 2011, where it passed the House but failed to overcome a Republican filibuster in the Senate. And it was considered one more time in 2013, where it passed the Senate but was not brought up for a vote in the House. Given the inability of Congress to approve this immigration reform, Obama made the decision to create DACA through an executive order. Proponents of DACA say that Obama had no choice but to implement DACA because of the compelling need to address the immigration status of children brought into the United States illegally and because of the legislative dysfunction that did not allow passage of any comprehensive immigration reform to address this urgent issue. Critics, on the other hand, say that Obama's executive order was an illegal action to circumvent the legislative laws of the United States government, and that these children who were brought into the United States illegally should be deported, sent back to their country of birth. Here are Senator Ted Cruz's thoughts. Uh, We are unfortunately witnessing a constitutional crisis. What President Obama is doing is he is defying the law, he's defying the Constitution. You know, the president quite rightly said just a few weeks ago, his policies were on the ballot all over the country. This last election was a referendum on amnesty. And the American people overwhelmingly rose up and said, no, we don't want lawless amnesty. And I'm sorry to say President Obama's reaction is is defiant and it is angry with the American people. And if the president goes forward with this, if he goes forward unilaterally defying the Congress elected by the people, defying the American voters, then it's incumbent on Republicans in Congress to use every single constitutional tool we have to defend the rule of law, to reign in a president so that the president does not become an unaccountable monarch imposing his own policies in defiance of the American people. This is a moment of testing, and I am hopeful we will see Republicans in Congress stand up and side with the people against a lawless president. From the start, Republicans have claimed that DACA is an abuse of executive power, that President Obama circumvented the normal legislative process by putting DACA in place through executive action. In June 2013, nearly all Republicans in the House voted to defund DACA. This effort was, however, largely symbolic since they were not actually able to remove funding from the program since the vast majority of the program is funded through its own application fees. DACA has been called unconstitutional. Supporters of this argument say that because it was created through executive action, it does not follow the process laid out in the Constitution. And while this is open to interpretation and is a matter of opinion, the fact is that DACA has never been ruled unconstitutional. The Supreme Court took up DACA and was deadlocked on its future by a vote of four to four. So, 
the unconstitutionality of DACA has never been established in a court of law and probably never will be as the Trump administration is unlikely to bring it back before the Supreme Court. So saying that DACA is unconstitutional is an opinion. It's not a fact. And since its inception, most Republicans have not been in favor of DACA. Trump tapped into that desire to end DACA when he was a candidate, which he discussed in an interview with Chuck Todd. The executive order gets uh, rescinded. One good thing you'll about rescind, you'll rescind that one too. One good thing you'll about you'll rescind the Dream Act executive order. Have to, DACA. We have to make a whole new set of standards. And when people come in, they have so to come in. You're going to split up families. Chuck, you're going to deport children. Chuck, no, no. We're going to keep the families together. We have to keep the families together. But you're going to keep but them they together. They have to out. go. But they have to go. What if they have no place to go? We will work with them. They have to go. Chuck, and we either have a country or we don't have a country. And now that Republicans have a president in the Oval Office, they are moving forward to end DACA. One of the arguments often used against DACA is that it's expensive and takes resources of the federal government away from U.S. citizens. There's no question that there is a cost associated with the DACA program. There is also no question that DACA participants use certain federal resources. Examples would be that DACA participants go to high school where there is a cost to educate them. They may be awarded scholarships for attending college or use federal educational support to pay for school. In some cases, they may use federal funding for health care. If they are employed, they get their health care through their company and use those resources. If they're in the military, they are getting paid for their service by the federal government. So when Trump says that DACA participants cost the federal government money, he is factually accurate, but only half right through this myopic view of the cost versus the contributions of the program participants. It's critical then to look at what DACA participants contribute to the economy of the United States to get the full picture. According to a study by the Center for American Progress, 91% of DACA participants are currently employed by companies in the United States. If DACA is canceled, about 30,000 participants would lose their jobs every month. Over the next decade, the cost to the U.S. economy of rescinding DACA would be $460 billion in economic output with Medicare and Social Security contributions dropping by $24.6 billion. Since California and Texas have the greatest number of DACA participants, the loss to California would be $11.6 billion. The loss to Texas would be $6.2 billion. Kamala Harris, Democratic Senator from California, had the following thoughts. So let's get on board with the facts before we start expressing opinions about this population of people we have called dreamers. They are serving in our military. They are working in Fortune 100 companies. They are college students. They are law students. They are scientists. Let's be clear, 40% of the industry in terms of even tech in California was created by immigrants. Let's stop vilifying this population. And let's get to work also understanding that this is about not only what is morally right, 
It also is about what is economically right. To rescind DACA means to lose as many as 700,000 jobs in the United States because of the jobs that are created around this population. In California alone, if we rescind DACA, we will lose $11 billion. And we are looking at hundreds of billions of dollars for the economy as a whole, for taxpayers, if we rescind DACA. So there are many reasons to stand with our dreamers, including the fact that we're talking about young people who were brought here, many as toddlers. This is the only home they've known to send them back to some country that is foreign to them, where they may not even speak the language, is just wrong. Let's give them the ability to be all that we know we are as a country, which is we are a country of dreamers. We are a country of people who know that we aspire to have a country of young people who want to develop themselves and help our country produce and be the greatest country on this earth, but we will be only if we stand by our principles and our morals and the ideals of who we are. So let's pass this. Let's get it done in September. The reaction from the country's leading CEOs has been universally negative to Trump rescinding DACA. Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, said, quote, I am deeply dismayed that 800,000 Americans, including more than 250 of our Apple co-workers, may soon find themselves cast out of the only country they've ever called home, close quote. Bill Gates, co-founder of Microsoft and co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, said that he was, quote, very disappointed with the decision to end DACA. He went on to say, quote, hundreds of thousands of young people who have been educated in the United States and have played by the rules their whole lives will be forced to live under the threat that they will be separated from their families, friends, and communities, close quote. Here are Mark Zuckerberg's co-founder of Facebook thoughts. This is an, an important issue. And you know, I think, uh, and, and I wrote this yesterday in a post that um, I think rescinding DACA is a um, particularly cruel and, and, and difficult decision to make. Because when the administration um, uh, under President Obama uh, made the decision to start DACA and invited uh, you all and 800,000 other people uh, to, to come out of the shadows and, um, and say, hey, I'm here and, and I'm, I'm un undocumented in order to get a work status and a, a, um, the, right, the, the right permit. Um, you know, that, to, to offer the American dream to people and then to take it away and punish people for trusting their government and coming out of the shadows and, 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 and filing that and applying for that um, is just is one of the most troubling things that, that I, I think I've, I've seen in, in, a, in a long time in our country. Uh, so who are the participants in DACA? Who are the dreamers? Well, there are about 800,000 of them, so of course they're all different. And like any group of 800,000 people, they are far from perfect. Perhaps the best way to get a glimpse into their lives and who some of them are is by listening to their stories. I came to the U.S. in 1996 from Canada. Um, we, the economy was really bad. My dad was a 
a realtor, nobody was buying houses, and my mom was a bank teller and she lost her job. So uh, my dad came over here, um, bought a business, and about a year later he got a visa for us to come over. So we moved to San Antonio. I grew up there, went to elementary school, middle school, high school there. Um, I was a Girl Scout. It was a pretty all-American upbringing. Uh, I learned how to square dance, actually. I spent five years <laughs> learning how to do that in elementary school. And during my junior year of college, um, I got a letter in the mail from the Department of Homeland Security, and it was a notice to appear in immigration court, which is basically the first step in the deportation process. Um, I had never, that was the first time I knew, I'd learned that I was undocumented just because I always had a driver's license and I had a social security number, and um, I did all the things that Americans do. And so when I got that letter, um, I was completely blindsided. I just and you were in college. There, I was in the middle of college. I had already taken out tens of thousands of dollars in student loans. I, I, it, it's hard. I think as sort of, um, you know, being like twenty years old and learning that you are not supposed to be here because I just I grew up as an American. Um, and DACA, the DACA program was announced on my college graduation day, and so I was sitting at my. I remember sitting at my ceremony, and I was trying to think of, you know, what am I supposed to do with this. Pretty. I went to Northwestern for college. It was a private school. I had taken out so many loans, and I didn't know what I was gonna, how I was gonna pay all of that money back, and what I was supposed to do with this degree that I had spent so much time trying to get. Um, and on that day, the DACA program was announced, um, and fortunately, because of that program, I was able to um, get a work permit, and I got a job. I got two jobs, actually. Um, <laughs> I started a small business writing resumes for people to help Americans get jobs. I bought a house. I bought a car. Um, it just, I think it was so transformative, not only economically, but just mentally knowing that there is certainty that I can have, um, and being able to, like, give back to this country that I call home. I think it's, for me, it's, like, really hard to reconcile the fact, even today, the fact that I'm technically, and you know, undocumented, just because I just feel American in every single way. Um, and I just, I think what DACA has also done for us is, as dreamers, we know, we, we recognize uh, why the program is so transformative, and I think we have such a deep sense of gratitude and appreciation for what the program does, um, and we, we want to give back. Like, that's, that, that's what DACA allows us to do. There are about 65 dreamers enrolled in medical school. Here are two of their stories. It's a picture of me and my mom the day before I graduated college, I think. My mother and father came from Venezuela, where there's a lot of economic distress and political distress, and they wanted a better future for me and for themselves. I was seven years old. So we came here on a tourist visa. We overstayed the tourist visa. My mother is uh, a babysitter and housekeeper. My father does odd jobs, work construction. Right now, there's no path to legalization. I would like to believe that there <laughs> are options. I can't think of any that are realistic other than doing what my parents do. I think about it for about five seconds. I find it a little unbearable to think about, and then I just forget about it. Without DACA, I'm at risk of losing my loans. Then, you know, there's the questions like, if I graduate, what now? But I'm determined to finish, whether it takes me seven years or it takes me ten years. My interest is in primary care because I grew up where most of my community didn't have access to health care. 
With the U.S. facing a shortage of about 96,000 doctors, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to deport dreamers studying to practice medicine. So what does happen if DACA goes away? Well, it's a pretty stark reality. The 800,000 folks in the program will start to lose their deferred deportation status, and they will either have to return to their country of birth or they will still choose to live in the United States, but without legal status. And the implications of the latter are that they will lose their work permits, so many will have to leave their current jobs and have to find ways to work off the books. Without the ability to hold documented jobs, they will lose their health insurance. They will not be able to get loans for higher education, such as medical school, and they will live with a constant threat of deportation. Given this harsh reality, why did Trump choose to rescind DACA? After his tough stance on DACA as a candidate, he seemed to soften when he assumed the presidency. They were brought here in such a way, it's a very, it's a very, very tough subject. We are gonna deal with DACA with heart. I have to deal with a lot of politicians, don't forget. And I have to convince them that what I'm saying is is right, and I appreciate your understanding on that. But the DACA situation is a very, very, it's a very difficult thing for me because, you know, I love these kids. I, I love kids. I have kids and grandkids, and I find it very, very hard doing what the law says exactly to do, and, you know, the law is rough. I'm not talking about new laws. I'm talking the existing law is very rough. It's very, very rough. As far as the new order, uh, the new order is going to be very much tailored to the, what I consider to be a very bad decision, but uh, we can tailor the order to that decision and get just about everything, in some ways more, uh, but we're tailoring it now to the decision. We have some of the best lawyers in the country working on it, and the new uh, executive order is being tailored to the decision we got down from the court. So DACA is a very tough thing for Trump, and he loves the kids in DACA. He has kids and grandkids, but he claims that he is required under the law to rescind DACA. And that was a point reinforced by White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders shortly after Jeff Sessions' announcement of the end of DACA. It's not cold-hearted for the president to uphold the law. We are a nation of law and order. And the day that we start to ignore the fact that we are that, then we throw away everything that gives these people a reason to want to come to our country. If we stop becoming the country that we were envisioned to be, then we throw away what makes us special, which makes America unique. This president's not willing to do that. The previous administration was. This one isn't. But we want to have real solutions. We want to have laws that, that address these problems, but it's Congress's job to legislate, not the president's. And we actually, and we actually want to uphold the Constitution, and I think people across this country should be celebrating the fact that they have a president that is standing up and, and upholding the Constitution as he was elected to do. So is Trump required under the law to rescind DACA? Well, actually, no. What he and others in his administration are referring to is a lawsuit filed in June 2017 by 10 Republican attorneys general and one Republican governor that threatened to sue 
the Trump administration if it did not end DACA by September 5th. They released the following statement. It's, it's a little long, so I'm only going to read a part of the statement. Quote, if by September 5th, 2017, the executive branch agrees to the June 15th, 2012 DACA memorandum and not to renew or issue any new DACA or expanded DACA permits in the future, then the plaintiffs will voluntarily dismiss their lawsuit pending in the Southern District of Texas. Otherwise, the complaint in that case will be amended to challenge both the DACA program and the remaining expansion of DACA permits. What this threat means is that the attorneys general will amend their case, which did not even include DACA and currently does not include DACA. They would have to file the case, they'd have to argue the case in front of a judge, and they'd have to win the case, all of which would take time. And like all matters of law, the outcome is far from certain. And it seems strange that Trump, a man who, according to USA Today, was involved in 3,500 lawsuits when he was a businessman, and seemed to relish the prospect of bringing lawsuits against various news media outlets as a candidate. And one of the things I'm going to do, and this is only going to make it tougher for me, and I've never said this before, but one of the things I'm going to do if I win, and I hope I do, and we're certainly leading, is I'm going to open up our libel laws so when they write purposely negative and horrible and false articles, we can sue them and win lots of money. We're going to open up those libel laws so that when the New York Times writes a hit piece, which is a total disgrace, or when the Washington Post, which is there for other reasons, writes a hit piece, we can sue them and win money instead of having no chance of winning because they're totally protected. You see, with me, they're not protected because I'm not like other people, but I'm not taking money. I'm not taking their money. So we're going to open up those libel laws, folks, and we're going to have people sue you like you never got sued before. So the question remains, why did Trump rescind DACA? Is it that the Republicans historically have been against immigration? Here are President Ronald Reagan's thoughts. I believe in the idea of amnesty for those who have put down roots and who have lived here, even though sometime back uh, they may have entered illegally. The rationale for Trump rescinding DACA becomes particularly confusing as he now appears to support DACA. Democratic Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi from California asked Trump to send out a tweet to assure DACA participants that there would be no action against them in the six-month review period. So that's why I said to him, when he called this morning, I said, thanks for calling. This is what we need. People really need a reassurance from from you, Mr. President, that um, uh, the six-month period is not a period of roundup, but is just uh, that the, the DACA is frozen and that these people will not be vulnerable. Then put out that, and I was reporting to my colleagues, I said, this is what I asked the president to do, and boom, 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 the tweet appeared. So that was good. And Trump did indeed tweet and seemed to soften his hard stance on dreamers. 
Well, I have a great heart for the folks we're talking about, a great love for them. And people think in terms of children, but they're really young adults. Uh, I have a love for these people, and hopefully now Congress will be able to help them and do it properly. And I can tell you, in speaking to members of Congress, they want to be able to do something and do it right. And really, we have no choice. We have to be able to do something. And I think it's going to work out very well. And long term, it's going to be the right solution. So what happens now? Well, it's far from clear. Congress has six months to address DACA before the deferred status of enrollees is revoked. We're talking about politics here, so there's no way to tell how it's going to go. Certainly, the voices of Americans brought up loudly to their elected representatives will play a major part in the decisions on this. Meanwhile, 16 states and the District of Columbia have filed a lawsuit to strike down as unconstitutional Trump's actions with DACA. Here's New York Attorney General Eric Snyderman. So today we are suing the federal government. We are suing to protect the rights of dreamers, the rights of the employers who rely on them, the schools they attend, and the rights of the millions of friends and relatives who love them. The decision by the Trump administration yesterday to make an effort to rescind the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA, is cruel, short-sighted, inhumane, and potentially devastating to hundreds of thousands of immigrants and millions of people who work with, study with, love, and care for them. In the complaint we filed today, we lay out the significant economic harm DACA repeal will inflict on New York and states all across America, and we show that the effort to unwind this spectacularly successful program has been driven by the President's personal anti-Mexican, anti-Latino bias. This was done not to make us safer and not to comply with the Constitution. This was done with the discriminatory intent to expel hundreds of thousands of immigrants that today are making America great. And as with the lawsuit filed against the Trump administration to end DACA, this lawsuit to block the ending of DACA is far from certain. We're just going to have to see how it works out. And if none of these actions are successful to stop the end of DACA, then in less than six months, 800,000 young adults will have their deferment from deportation revoked. And they will have either the choice to retreat to the shadows within the United States or to return to countries which, in many cases, they don't even remember. I'll end with these words from a dreamer who was valedictorian at her high school and gave the commencement address at her school's graduation. Talk soon. Good afternoon. My name is Larissa Martinez. And I am delighted to be standing here as the valedictorian of the class of 2016. I am one of the 11 million undocumented immigrants living in the shadows of the United States. I decided to stand before you today and reveal these unexpected realities because this might be my only chance to convey the truth to all of you that undocumented immigrants are people too. I was...
was hesitant to speak about this here today because of the great divide of opinions concerning the topic of immigration in America. But I feel like I owe it to all of you to be honest, and I owe it to myself. The most important part of the debate, and the part most often overlooked, is the fact that immigrants, undocumented or otherwise, are people too. People with dreams, aspirations, hopes, and loved ones. People like me. People who have become a part of the American society and way of life and who yearn to help make America great again without the construction of a wall built on hatred and prejudice. We are here without official documentation because the U.S. immigration system is broken and it has forced many families to live in fear. I myself have been waiting seven years for my application to even be processed. So I hope that all of you leave here today knowing that we are trying to do it the right way, but we don't know how. I, I ask for all of you to try to look beyond the way in which the media portrays us and the dehumanizing accusations that some politicians have made. I ask for you to please Keep your hearts open and try to find love and understand the love and understanding that make us, makes us human. Because after all, we are people just like you. While I can't predict the future and tell you how successful you're all going to be, by sharing my, my story, I hope to convince all of you that if I was able to break every stereotype based on what I'm classified as, Mexican, female, undocumented, first generation, low income, then so can you. We do not have to let, let expectations become our reality. I am no expert in this journey we call life, but I am living proof that beating the system is possible. We do not have to conform to the limitations that others put on us. There will always be people that judge us and set expectations based on their preconceived ideas of who they think we are and who they think we should be. However, we have the ability to prove them wrong. In those moments when you need a reason to continue moving forward, Close your eyes and picture yourself in the future saying, they told me I couldn't, so I did. Thank you.